Hello, and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds. Roger, it is great to be in the studio with you today. You had the honor of preaching this past Sunday morning, and you took us back to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13, the world we live in. Yeah, in Matthew 13, we find a whole series of parables that Jesus gives about the kingdom. And what he does is it's kind of like holding an object in your hand and you turn it at one direction, you see something, you turn it in another direction. And so the Lord's just shown us different aspects of his kingdom. And what the the parable we focused on was the parable of the tares. And this is not really as well known as many of the other parables. It's one of the few parables in which later on in that chapter, Jesus actually explains it to the disciples, which gives us a lot of help in understanding what this is about. But let, let me just read it to you. It's kind of short. And then we'll kind of talk about some of the components here as we did in our lesson. And of course, all of our lessons are recorded and available to you on our website. And just love for you to go back and look at these things as we kind of learn and grow together. All all right, let me interrupt you here for just a moment before you read. You keep using the word parable. We know that's a Bible word. We don't hear it a lot outside of the Bible. What is exactly a parable? Right, great. And we need to understand that. You know, it's it's easy to think that's just a story. And if we just leave it at that, it's just a story. But it's more than just a story. Uh, the word parable itself means to lay alongside something. So it's used as a comparison. And what Jesus does is he takes something that the audience in the first century world would have understood. It's a concept they would have seen. Jesus' audience was often just common laborers or farmers. And he used that illustration to build from that to show a spiritual principle. So when you look at the earthly story, you see in that the spiritual truth that Jesus is wanting us to see. That's the concept of a parable. And so it's it's the idea of a comparison. So let's read here the parable of the tares in Matthew 13, beginning with verse 24. It says, Jesus presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who who sowed good seed in this field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the wheat sprouted and the bore grain, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and said to him, Did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The slave said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? He said, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow them both to grow together until the harvest. And in time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. All right, Roger, I'm... I'm a city boy, (laughs) and so uh, what exactly is a tear? 
A tear is a weed, and most most scholars think uh, Jesus is actually talking about what's called a darnel. Um, even the footnote in the New American Standard will use the word darnel. Okay. And uh, when wheat first comes up, it comes up green. You know, it doesn't come up like that brown, golden thing we see. That's the harvest time. It comes up green, and the darnel comes up, and looking at them side by side, they almost look identical. Okay. And it's not till the harvest time that the wheat grows taller and the Greek, the wheat has the grains on that and you can tell the difference. So at the very early here, it's really hard to distinguish it. The second thing about Darnell was it was a noxious weed. And to eat that would make you sick. Hmm. And so the enemy here is doing this to harm the people who would gain, who would gather this and then later on make it into bread or something else. And so the, this, this was a deliberate attack. This is not an accident. This is not something that, oh, I, I mixed my seed up. This is someone who's already doing this on purpose, intending to hurt this person. Uh, Roman law even had a law against someone doing such things. And oftentimes this is how somebody would retaliate against somebody. They would go in the night and put other seed in the field and just ruin his crop. Well, the Romans understood that and they wouldn't allow somebody to do that. All right. So you highlighted for us a minute ago, uh, this is not like Aesop's fables, something like that. We're we're in a different sort of class than you know that famous tortoise and the hare thing. Um, you said that somehow this is a comparison that somehow applies to us today. And you even mentioned, okay, this is obviously not one of Jesus's more well-known parables. We don't hear about this nearly as often as, let's say, the prodigal son or, or, or one of those parables. But Jesus actually provides an explanation for this. I'm, I'm thankful for that because this isn't quite as easy maybe to understand if we didn't have that explanation. Right. And starting in verse 36, down about verse 43, Jesus, as he's later on with the disciples, the disciples ask him. So so that tells us the disciples didn't understand this. We wonder what the rest of the crowd thought about this because they had questions. They didn't understand it. And so Jesus goes through and explains it. And in the process of this, we just see several components coming out. It, it's almost like the playbill of, of a play. You're, you're watching a high school play, and you get this little program, and you see, okay, this is the this person is this character, this person is this character, and that's how this is kind of written. So it tells us, starting in verse thirty-eight, that the good seed or the wheat are the sons of the kingdom. The farmer in verse thirty-seven is the son of man or Jesus. The enemy, verse 39, is the devil. The tares are the sons of the evil one, or those who are working for the devil, verse 38. The field is the world, it says, verse 38. The harvest is the end of the age, verse 39, and the harvesters are going to be the angels. And so that, that kind of, that kind of puts some explanation on this. And in our sermon, really, we had four simple points. And the first point, and that kind of helps us get back to what Jesus is driving at here, is that the devil is actively engaged in trying to hurt what God is doing. That's what takes place here. God has sown his seed, and in the midst of that, the devil comes in and sows his seed. He's trying to hurt what God's doing. Uh, the second part of our lesson was God allows the wheat and the weeds to grow together. 
the disciples uh, or the servants in this parable say, should we go and pull it up? And uh, my understanding is oftentimes when the tares and the wheat grow together, the roots intermingle together, and to pull one, you're going to pull the other. And so you're going to have no crop whatsoever. And so the master says, no, let them go until harvest time. And then a harvest will make that separation. And so the third component of our sermon was uh, that God is aware of what's going on. Uh, it wasn't shocking to him. He knew the enemy had done this. And at the very end, our last point of our lesson was that God wins. Uh, at the very end, the tares are gathered up. They're cast out. It talks about a coming judgment. Those who are not walking with God, that's what's going to happen. They will be judged. And the, the wheat, the righteous are going to be with God. And so uh, it's, a, it's a powerful parable. And again, like you said, we, we don't talk about it very often. It's not high in our list of favorite parables, but it has some profound principles we need to appreciate. All right. Let me back up here a little and just pose a question about why Jesus teaches like this. I mean, we hear his explanation that uh, the one who's sowing the seed is the son of man, the field is the world, so on and so forth. We get the idea once Jesus has explained it. And so why did Jesus provide a couple dozen parables? Why not just come out and Tell us what he means and uh, and save us these sometimes pretty obscure illustrations. Well, I think one of the reasons is, is that we tend to remember stories. And we may not remember all the actual things, but, but we get the story, and that story will take us to what Jesus wanted us to remember. And so stories are easy to remember, and, and we all have favorite stories. And when we think about the parable, we bring up the prodigal son, the sower who went out and sowed the seed among all these different kinds of soils. We remember that. And from that, we can see the layers of what Jesus intended for us to see that. In Matthew 13, the question is even asked, why do you speak in parables? It says in verse 10. His disciples wondered that. And uh, Jesus was not the first one to use parables. He did not invent parables parables. There are parables in the Old Testament. But Jesus did this. One of his reason was to hide the truth from those who have a closed heart. Uh, he would quote from Isaiah uh, in Matthew 13, where he talks about uh, their eyes do not see and their ears do not hear. Their heart is closed. And so those who are not interested, uh, they won't get the story. It's just It doesn't make sense to them. Uh, Psalms 78 talked about the Lord speaking in parables. So one reason he did this also was fulfill prophecy. But more than anything else, I think for those of us who believe, it pulls the curtain back. It allows us to see the kingdom as God wants us to see and to see how the kingdom works. And so for those who believe and those who trust, we see the glorious kingdom of God as God has revealed it. You know, it's it's almost like the parables provide illustrations in a book. Uh, you and I both love to read. Uh, there is a great deal of teaching, doctrine, narrative, things like that in the Bible. But when we run across a parable, it's like a word picture, 
right? And so it gives us an illustration into maybe some of those deeper ideas that are on their own a little more theoretical. I I like you highlighting that it hid truth from those with hard, closed hearts. The other thing that stands out to me is a lot of times they had the ability, it seems like, to slip past the walls that people had around their hearts. I'm thinking of how Nathan confronts David in the Old Testament, right? David knows what he's done. He's guilty of heinous sin against Uriah and against the Lord. And Nathan, in order to get him to wake up and come to himself, in a sense, tells him a story. And that story slips right past David's maybe self-centered defenses and kind of smacks them awake, right? That is the power of parables. One of those four simple lessons that you drew out in your sermon was that the, the devil is actively engaged in trying to hurt what God is doing. That sounds serious. Here we are on a, a Wednesday, maybe Wednesday morning driving to work or Wednesday afternoon mowing the lawn. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? How is the devil actively engaged in trying? Uh, let's start with us as an individual, and then we'll look at uh, as some different realms here. Ab- yeah, absolutely. And and what's interesting in that parable, the devil didn't go out to an empty field and sow the seed. He went purposely to where the Son of Man had already yeah. sown. So so he is after what was good and what was done. Uh, we remind ourselves at the end of uh, Revelation 12, where it refers to the devil as the dragon. It says, so the dragon was enraged with a woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So the devil is actively after us. Uh, Peter would tell us that he's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You, you get this image, this word picture in your mind of a hungry lion out there in the wilds, and he's looking. I mean, he's looking for antelope. He's looking for zebra. He's looking for something because his belly's growling, and he's hungry, and but his eyes are on us. He's looking for us. And one way he gets us, you know, you've seen those nature shows where it's taken in Africa and there's a herd of antelope eating or, or drinking water down there and off in the weeds you see that lion. And one of them will sense it and the herd will just run away. Well, what happens is when we're careless, we're getting too close to where the lion is, he's going to get us. Uh, what happens is the herd shifts and we don't notice that and we're by ourselves. He will get us. What happens is we don't follow the shepherd, like Psalms 23, he will get us. And so the devil will use temptation, he'll, he'll use lust, he'll use materialism, he'll throw just a number of things before us to, to get our eyes off of Jesus and to make us feel like that we're, we deserve this, we're lonely, we're, we're just, no one cares about us. There's lots of different emotions he'll throw it at us. And all of that is to get us so he can jump upon us and eat us for lunch. What do I need to think about when it comes to my home, do you think? Absolutely. And, and I'm an advocate of this very much so. If you've got, 
young ones in your home all the way up through teenagers. You need to have all kinds of filters on your computers. You need to know the passwords on their phones, you, you know, because it, that, that's how the devil really reaches us today. That's a different world than what it used to be. And the devil will use just modern technology to throw things in your house that you wouldn't let in your house. I mean, somebody knocked on your door and you opened the door up and he was just saying all kinds of foul words. You're not going to let him in. But we let them in through the TV or we let them in through some video or something like that. So so parents need to be aware of such things. Uh, you need to be aware of who your kids' friends are. And uh, I know when our kids were younger, I'd I much rather have their friends come to my house than they go to their house. Because we could monitor and we could watch things. And every once in a while, we had to send a kid home. If he wasn't going by our rules, sorry, you have to go home. But but that's what the devil's going to do. He'll try to get mom and dad against each other. He'll try to get husbands and wives to, to not be on the same page. And, and by doing that, by separating us, separating us from Jesus, He's 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 thrown that seed into the field, and he's going to try to harvest something that God did not plant. What about the church? Is the church immune? No, no, and uh, and and of course he's after the church, and he'll get that by trying to get us after each other, and get our eyes off of Jesus, and get us fussing with each other, and get us forgetting what our main goal is, and so. So, you know, we become complacent, we become neglectful, we, we start pointing fingers at one another, we get angry with one another. You know, you look at the church at Corinth in, in the book of 1 Corinthians, they were divided, and they were not on the same page. Within the third chapter, he says, you have jealousy and strife among you. Well, that, that that's just easy ways Satan gets us to get our minds off what it should be. And so, uh, and what we need to realize is is we may not see him, but he sees us. And he's doing all that he can to get us. And it may be a combination of all three of those things at the same time. You personally, your family, and your congregation. And that, that is why so many times in our Bible we see the words like be alert or be careful or beware because Satan is very, very powerful. All right. So one of the big points that you drew out from this parable, God is going to allow the wheat and the weeds to grow together until what Jesus calls the end of the age. Here we are in the middle of this week, and we're we're trying to live as that faithful, fruit-bearing wheat, but we're surrounded by people who don't care about God, don't care about God's will, uh, walking with Jesus. Can you give us maybe just some practical encouragement of how to deal with living as wheat surrounded by the tares. You know, in, in a perfect world, everybody would be wheat. Uh, that's not the way it is. And, and that sometimes drives us to the thought, wouldn't it be great if we just built a monastery and we had a community and only faithful Christians could be in there and we would never be bothered by anyone else? Well, that that's not the way God wants it to be. Because we are to be lights into the world, and to do that, we have to be in the world. So you may be the only child of God where you work or in your school, in your classroom, and God's counting upon you to do what you're supposed to be doing. So one thing we got to keep from happening is that we got to keep us from becoming the tares. we got to keep wheat from becoming weeds, and we do that by sticking close to Jesus. Uh, James tells us in James chapter 4, verse 7, to uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Uh, Paul would say to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, to flee youthful lusts. 
there's times you need to stand there, hold your ground, fight. There's times you put on your shoes and you run. But but those are things that we need to realize. And so so the world we live in is going to have, sadly, crime. It's going to have shootings. It's going to have things that are not right. It's going to be having things that blasphemy God. It's going to have things that hurt the heart of God's people. That's the world we live in. That's the tears of the world. Now, how, how our hearts want us to pull those things up and just get rid of them. But the Lord says, no, they're going to grow together. Yeah, he, uh, you highlighted, he doesn't isolate us from the tares. It sure does sound like what you're suggesting, and I think absolutely right. We need to be at peace with being distinctive from the tares, right? We, this is an opportunity to shine. This is an opportunity to be that salt of the earth and the light of the world. We can't be ashamed of being different from those who don't care about God or don't yet know God. There at the end of your sermon, you reached back to you know a, a song that many of us learned as we were growing up, very little children in Bible classes. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Be careful, little tongue, what you say. Be careful, little feet, where you go. But you highlighted then, and I, I would like just to wrap up today by circling back uh, you really emphasize that's not just a kid's song. No, in fact, uh, I, I kind of restated those with a changed words that maybe we need to be careful with big eyes what we see and big ears what we hear and big tongues what we say and big feet where we go because uh, as that's a cute little children's song, it, it's a powerful message for us. And there are places we shouldn't go. There's things we shouldn't say. There's things we shouldn't hear. There's things we shouldn't see. And again, in a world where there's weeds all around us, uh, we've got to be careful about that. Now, you know, uh, a lot of us, I'm, I'm this way particular. Uh, if I see one dandelion in my yard, I nuke it. I mean, it, it has zero chance of surviving the night. I mean, I'll dig, I'll blast, I'll use chemicals, I'll use everything on that guy. Okay. Cause, cause I, I like a weed free yard. I, that's the way I like it. I can look out that yard and all I see is green grass. Uh, that would be great if that's the world we live in, but it's not. And God tells us it's not. And that's part of this parable. And part of this parable is to remind us all around us. Now, unlike the natural world in which Jesus tells this parable, okay, a tear or darnel could never, ever become wheat. Genetically, they're not the same. But in the spiritual world, a tear can become wheat. It can become converted. It can change. And that comes about oftentimes by being beside wheat. And that's, that's again, the lesson and the reason why maybe Jesus allows them to be together. The sermon is called The World We Live In, freely available at charlestownroad.org or in our sermon podcast feed. Roger, we appreciate your work on that front, drawing our attention to a, a less familiar but very relevant parable from Jesus. It is Sunday. We're looking forward to this evening, 7 o'clock p.m. You're going to be teaching in the auditorium. Yes, and and on Wednesday, what we're doing on this series is the Marks of Maturity, and we've just been laying the introduction down, so now we're going to start looking at the different layers of maturity. In our Building Blocks track of studies this month, we've been exploring on Wednesdays what is 
repentance and we have established that it is more than suffering the consequences of a bad decision. It's more than regret or embarrassment or even saying I'm sorry. We last Wednesday dug into repentance involves the change of mind Tonight, we're going to talk about how that change of mind leads to a change of behavior, an awfully important lesson for all of us to understand as disciples of Jesus. We would love to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. Roger, thanks for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We are already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week. We would love to have you come and grow with us.